Welcome to the Moose Room, everybody. The OG3 is here. Uh, well, we're recording two weeks in a row. There'll be an episode in between these, but uh, for us, it's two weeks in a row together, which, you know, usually the second week in a row, we're a little more heated. We make fun of each other yes. a little more. And we are is, in fine form today. Yeah, we're a little sassy with each other. <laughs> recording started, well, we started recording eight minutes ago, and we've been on together for maybe 20, 25 minutes just uh, getting the juices flowing. So yeah. today we are doing a follow-up to our WCROC case study where we were having respiratory issues in calves. We had several calves die, found out based on the pathology report that it was Mannheimia hemolytica. Brad vaccinates for that, and we started talking about next steps. So we, we had a little bit of homework. Brad was going to do a little bit of a systems check at the dairy to see if everything was being done correctly. And then I was calling some of my contacts at the company to see what are their thoughts from all the different tech service people on what to do next and how to handle this situation, knowing that we're using the vaccine, but we don't appear to have full protection. Good summary, team? Fair? Fair summary of what, what, were, yeah. what was going on. Yeah. So solving Bradley's problems, part two. Part Here we go. Two. One of the big things we should we should address, and and this can play a big role in things, is and we talked about it a little bit last week, and Emily mentioned it a couple times. You know, the management piece of this and figuring out the labor side of things can be a really tricky point. When the systems check, you know, one of the things that Brad and Emily and I talked about after last week was okay, what what else is going on with labor at the dairy? So. Brad, I mean, share what you're comfortable sharing, but what's going on with labor and, and personnel at the dairy? It's, it's out, labor has always been a challenge, uh, especially when we get closer to uh, the holidays, the end of the year. Uh, you know, everybody wants to take vacations, things like that. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. But it just puts a lot of effort on more people or a few people to uh, keep things going. And you know, things always get, some things don't get done as good as others because we're just trying to get animals fed and cows fed and milk, cows milked. So um, it's, it's, it's been a challenge. Brad's been doing a lot of work. I've been doing a lot of fixing, uh, lots of stuff. So not saying that I can't do it and I enjoy doing it. That's why I do it. But uh, labor's been, been tough probably the last month uh, for us. You know, I, I always look at that and, and it's not usually a coincidence that things happen and go wrong when labor's short, when there's managers gone, when there's less people responsible for more things. So I, I'm not saying that that is a, like the reason that this happened, but I mean, the the point of some of the systems check is to kind of step back and say, well, hey, are we are we actually getting everything done that we need to get done? All the way back to did you know colostrum, and we got to think, you know what, with these some of these calves, we got to think nine weeks ago, what was going on? You know, when we're talking about colostrum, when we're talking about did vaccines get given correctly? Who was even here working? What was the situation like? The weather, all that stuff, and you're on a nine week leg trying to figure some of this out. So, Brad, what did did you find anything when you kind of went top to bottom to see is everything getting done right? You know, it really is. You know, it's obviously everybody's stretched thin. We've 
you know, hired a few students and stuff, but everybody was getting done. Cavs were getting vaccinated. We know that, you know, some days we had 15, you know, 15 calves born, but everything was getting done. That was the issue. We, we did a little extra cleaning on the auto feeder. We, you know, I talked to the veterinarian here uh, that helps us with the herd and we thought, well, maybe we should do a extra deep clean on that auto feeder because, well, more than likely it uh, could be spreading some of the uh, issues that we were dealing with. So we did a little extra cleaning there. Other, otherwise, you know, and I can't control the weather. So that's always been a challenge. But for the most part, things have been doing well. We haven't had issues, you know, we colostrum, all of that's all right in line. So yeah, it's kind of a tough one. It's kind of a tough one. Things, could we do better on cleaning and stuff? Sure. There's always that, but. Um, yeah, who couldn't? And, and this is exactly what we kind of expected, you know, knowing the kind of operation up there and, and knowing how it's been taken care of in the past. We know, you know, systems check is going to come back pretty clean. You know, there's not there's not a whole lot that can go better. So, you know, now we need to look at, okay, all the different things and and everything that I learned from the tech support team and what they told me about how this vaccine works and some of the suggestions they made. One of the things that we found out uh, a while ago was, you know, maybe we need to do something just to shut things down uh, ahead of weaning when all these things were, were, were happening around weaning time, or at least at the start of weaning when we're dropping back milk at seven weeks, we had a calf die at that time point. So one of the suggestions from the tech support team was, well, maybe we need to do something and maybe work on more of an injectable ahead of weaning. Is that something you guys got done, Brad? We haven't done that yet, but we are are working towards uh, getting that uh, a sub-Q uh, injection to help get things through there. We've had a few coughs here and there still lingering in, in animals and even ones that are outside. So uh, the plan is to do that. It just hasn't happened yet with some of the holidays, but hopefully soon. So when we talk with this, you know, when we're looking at intranasal vaccines, especially with Mannheimia, we don't get as long lasting of a response and we don't get as much response to leukotoxin, which is the big thing that we talked about last week, leukotoxin being one of the, the key pieces of this bacteria that makes it virulent. So the idea behind an injectable is to get more response from that in an older calf that has more of a mature immune system that can then get a better response. So that's the idea behind giving the injectable ahead of weaning. One of the other things we found out and one of the things that I wanted to double check on before I brought it back to the team was timing of the vaccine because Brad said you're giving it at three days, right? Yep. From some of the things that I've learned. So the, the vaccine itself, all the studies that were done because of the, the way they acquire calves to do the study and all the verification and testing needs to happen before they actually enroll the calves in the study, the vaccine is only labeled to one week or older. That's just what's on the label. So a lot of people give it at birth. A lot of people give it in between that time point. One of the suggestions, and especially from uh, some of the people on the beef side of the, of the tech support team, is that maybe we need to push the whole thing out. Uh, why? Maybe we don't need to give the intranasal that early. If, if we're not having any problems in the first 14 days, maybe... Instead of giving an intranasal early and an injectable later, maybe we just give the intranasal later when that calf is more mature and has more of an immune system. So that's one of the suggestions that came back. I, I tend to agree with that, at least from what I've been taught and told. There tends to be a lull 
in the calf's immune system between day three of age and day seven of age where they're just not as immunocompetent and they don't respond to vaccines as well. So for me, that's what I would suggest on the beef side for sure. Let's get away from stuff at birth if we don't need it and wait all the way out to two months is what I would tell a beef producer. Now, it's different on the dairy side because of when we wean. So we'd probably want to push this out to four, five, six weeks so that it's in ahead of any drop in milk or stress associated with that. Is that even a possibility, Brad? Yeah, of course it's a possibility. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, uh, you know, so and like a lot of farms, people do things based on labor and when you can do them and when, and, you know, I know a lot of people that give things at birth uh, just because it's just simpler, you're handling the calf then. So yes, um, we are willing to make changes based on uh, when, when we can make things more effective. Definitely. Just curious, Joe, you know, so it was the the tech, right, that kind of made this recommendation to you. Did they mention, do they know other people who have done that, if that's worked? Um, you know, was, was there any sort of evidence, anecdotal or otherwise, or was it more just try it and see if it helps? Or, you know, I'm, I'm curious if there was any other background you got on it. Yeah. So most of this, especially, you know, from the tech and, and from my own experience is that this, there's really, for me, I like to give it at birth or we wait until that four or five, six week time point. But that only works on dairies that are run really well. So if you have good colostrum management, if you have clean calves, if you've got all of that pretty much figured out, you don't have 30 calves on one nipple on your auto feeder if all that stuff is straight and it, it looks good, then it works to wait on the intranasal and do it later. And a lot of times uh, some of those calves are going to be to be dehorned somewhere in there if you're not doing paste or if you're not doing uh, something right away. It works for that time point as well. And they're a little more immunocompetent. So that for me, that's where I like to see it. If we can push it out, I love to. Otherwise, I like to see it right at birth just because we're avoiding that three to seven day. Now, the way this vaccine works is what gives me a little pause with some of that. The way this vaccine works is it's an avirulent live bacteria. So we're talking just about Mannheimia portion of this of this vaccine right now. The Mannheimia portion of this vaccine that's exactly, it, it, it's avirulent live. So it's a bacteria that needs to replicate to create antigenic mass in the, in the actual nasal passage for the body to be able to respond. Now, the way they do that without letting it get out of control is that they actually use, they've grown this bacteria to be dependent on an antibiotic. So it needs that antibiotic to be able to replicate. And then when that antibiotic is gone, it can't replicate anymore. So that's how they control it and stop it from causing any disease or getting out of control. And it works really well. But I really hesitate when that calf is coming into the world and trying to get its microbiome set up and is, hasn't even really had time to do any of that. And then you shove something up the nose that's going to impact that dramatically and has, even though it's a really tiny and like minuscule amount, it does have antibiotic in it. I don't have data to support that thought, but it makes sense to me that if we can wait, I would prefer to wait. Does that make sense? Is that too complicated? Not at all. Not at all. So I thought it was a pretty cool way that this, this vaccine works. And knowing that it's actually a live bacteria, we also 
have to be extra careful how we handle the vaccine too, right? So, I mean, all the way down to it's got to be mixed right before you use it. It's got to be stored really well in the fridge so it's at the right temp. It can't sit in the sun. You should not shake the bottle. You should roll it gently between your hands because that can actually damage some of those live pieces of the vaccine. There's a lot of vaccine handling points that come into into play knowing that it's actually alive. Lots of stuff to consider there too. So the other stuff that the tech support team and I talked about and most of the veterinarians I've talked to about, especially the calf with peritonitis, we all kind of shaking our heads at that one. And Manheimia does not do that unless that calf is immunosuppressed in a pretty big way. You know, it, it doesn't it doesn't get out of control like that and get out of the lung and cause problems in the entire body unless there's some form of immunosuppression, whether that's weaning stress, whether that's all the way back to not getting colostrum taken care of correctly, or there's a, a, a another illness that set everything up. You know, if we if we had had one calf that died and that was the only one, then I would chalk it up to a complete fluke. But we have two more calves, so it can't be just a fluke. Have we had any more go down, Brad? We haven't had any more that have died. So that's a good thing. We still have some lingering effects of calves coughing, things like that. So it it th- there is some of that happening. And that's my my biggest question in all of this is that yes, calves dying is bad, and we know that, right? That's the ultimate. Yep, that's that's not good. But yeah, you always wonder. Okay, if there's a few that died, that means there's a bunch more that got it. And how how are they going to perform going into the future? And this is something, especially if it is replacements on the dairy side, you are potentially going to have that to sit and not be a problem until you try to milk two years down the road. So, I mean, that's a scary piece for me. Now, fortunately, these are not replacement animals, but it still can impact their performance in the feedlot as well. So, you know, there's a lot of worry there. And how, how much of the group do you think is affected, Brad? All of them, <laughs> all of them. We've treated, we've treated, we've treated everyone, or at least we've. W- th- that was the recommendation of our veterinarian was to just treat them all because we just, you don't know. And versus having a whole bunch more die, we need to just treat them all. And what did you treat with? Draxon for respiratory. Everybody got Draxon for respiratory issues. So yeah, because everybody has to remember, we, we originally thought it was Clostridium. So we went through and treated them all before we got the vet re, or the diagnostic report back. And then everybody got Draxon after that. Whether the Draxon is uh, helping or working, I, I don't know. I mean, there's so much we could discuss and we probably don't have time to get exactly. into all the different aspects of antibiotics today. And which one would we choose? And is is a macrolide, which is the class of antibiotics uh, for Drax, and is that really the right choice for unknown Manheimia issue? I don't know. You know, it, there, there's two different forms of antibiotics. Just to get into it briefly, there's there's bacteriostatic and there's bacteriocidal. So bacteriostatic antibiotics they just stop bacteria from replicating, and then they depend on the immune system to clean it up. The problem that we talked about with something like that sometimes is that we know Manheimia is super aggressive and how much inflammation it causes. So we need really good penetration to the lung tissue, which Draxon has, and it stays there very well. But, you know, it doesn't actually kill a lot of the bacteria. The body has to do that. And that for that, you need access. And because 
we talked about how metal this bug is. It, it builds a, a wall of dead bodies around itself with that leukotoxin and access can be tough. And if we're depending on the body to kill this bug and it has a specific defense against the things that are supposed to be killing it, it can take a while, right? So bactericidal may be a right choi better choice. I don't know if I have data to support that either. So now we're just to, to warn everybody, we're fully into Joe's opinion. Don't don't take this <laughs> as research, okay? Uh, so sometimes a bactericidal drug might be a little better choice in my mind, but Draxin works for Mannheimian. It, it has worked for Mannheimian, so it's not a bad choice. But sometimes like first polls when I know Mannheimian is a, an issue and, and maybe not in a metaphylactic situation, I'm using something like New Floor or Batril. We're not going to go down that rabbit hole anymore than we need to on that because that, that was more than I wanted to talk about it anyway. So we've got some next steps. Like I said, you know, the, the tech team, when something like this happens and you're using a product, that's what they're there for. You got to lean on them. They, they are super helpful and they, they want their product to work and they want to help you have it work as, as good as it possibly can on your farm. They're very committed to that and that's their job. So uh, if this happens on your farm, don't, you gotta reach out. You gotta, you gotta make sure you're talking to those people cause they want to help with something like this. Any final thoughts, you two? Nothing. Emily, amazing thoughts. Oh yeah. She's got something. Go for it. Sorry. I, I was writing one large word on a post-it note. Ah, yes. Um, <laughs> you know, I think just something I've been thinking about as we've been having this conversation and especially when we you know, kind of dived into Bradley doing the systems check and, and, you know, just, I guess that reminder that these things happen, right. And, and it is not always a mark of like, you're a bad manager and your farm's failing, right. Some of these things happen. And so I think, you know, the whole purpose of this conversation we've been having is like, yeah, it's it's really too bad this happened to Bradley. This isn't us saying, look at how bad Bradley is at managing the dairy, right? But it's what can we do to put our heads together, you know, to solve these problems and figure this out. And so, you know, I I know that in in my life, in my time when I had my own responsibilities on the farm, you know, things going wrong, you can take it really personally. And, you know, just sometimes it is things happen. You know, and, and that's why we have these conversations. And yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. And just a, a note to to any baby veterinarians out there. This is the reason that you need to have a good relationship with your farm. If you don't bother to find out what's going on in your farmer's life, what's going on with labor, what's going on with all these other things, you can look like a pretty big idiot coming in demanding that all these changes be made and all these things happen and 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 basically pointing fingers um, when you don't have the whole story. I mean, if you don't ask about that stuff, if you don't take the time to get to know these people, you'll you'll never make it. You got you have to figure out what else is going on on the farm and because it's not farmers are in it every day. It's a daily grind and sometimes stuff doesn't happen just like it doesn't happen in your life uh, or at your job sometimes. And that's what this is. It's a job. It's a way of life. It's a lifestyle. And it can't be perfect all the time. I think that's the place to wrap it right there. Perfect. Good deal. 
thank you, Bradley, for being so open with this and being willing to share on the podcast. It, I think it is fun for us and uh, a little a little more real world when we try to solve this stuff kind of in real time. It is. And it always helps to know, to let people know that even though we're a university herd, we are not perfect either. And we have the same issues that a lot of farmers do. So it is, it is good to have that uh, real world type uh, situation going on. All right. Well, I do want to say just based on when we are recording this, I'm not sure when this episode is going to come out, but from all of us at the Moose Room, we hope you have very happy holidays. Stay safe. Enjoy time to relax and experience the, the joy of the season. This is my favorite time of year. So happy holidays from all of us. If you have questions, comments, or skating rebuttals about today's episode, you can email those to themooseroom at umn.edu. You can also call and leave us a voicemail at 612-624-3610. Find us on Twitter at UMN Moose Room and at UMN Farm Safety. Of course, find Bradley on Instagram at UMNWCROCDairy and find us on the web at extension.umn.edu. Bye! 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 Bye!